0: We have a short reading this morning, um, so don't blink and you'll miss it. Um, It's uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, uh, and starting from verse 13, it's on page 1218 if you have a church Bible. So it's 1 Peter chapter 2, uh, reading from verse 13, submission to rulers and masters. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men, whether to the king as supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. Live as free men, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers. Fear God. Honour the King. It's God's word to us this morning. The heading for
1: the sermon, a tricky one, is uh, Impacting Others in Politics. I don't think that implies that we need to be involved in politics as such to impact people, though politicians are often the butt of cynicism among many of us, sometimes with good reason and oftentimes not so. What we are doing is pursuing our way through 1 Peter. We started in September and we shall finish on Advent Sunday. And so therefore we're in this letter with some significant detail. And these verses is where we are going to pursue uh, our time for the next uh, 25 minutes or so. Sunday by Sunday, what we are trying to do is ask ourselves some questions and at least, as best we can, try to answer them. And so today, we need to ask, as best we can, what impact do we really have? What impact do we really have, as best we can tell, as believers living in an unbelieving world? That's sometimes hard to know because maybe people look at our lives in the challenge, but don't say anything. So we've already looked at, uh, for example, impacting others through our hope. We have been given a living hope. And you don't need to be a genius to know that people with hope will attract the attention of people without hope. That's obvious. So the question is, how real is our living hope? And then we've been thinking about impacting others through our lives. Just living out our lives and kingdom values among people with whom we work and rub shoulders with. We've seen that uh, in verse, 13 of chapter 1. And then we've seen impacting others through being a community. Now, we're not a gated community. We're not a closed community. We're not an exclusive group. We're open. We ought to be. And when people come among us, they ought to sense that there is something real here, even though they may not be uh, remotely religious and have no church background at all. That is a challenge. So, this morning, we are thinking about impacting people within the society in which we live. Like us, our society is imperfect. It's made up of people like us. But often, such believing people like you and I today may experience And sometimes directly as a result of being Christian people, we may experience unfair treatment. Look at uh, where we ended last Sunday. Look at chapter 2 and verse 12. Look at the connection first as we do a lead-in. Here we are. We're talking about impacting these various areas of our lives, even unconsciously, perhaps inadvertently, other times deliberately. So where we ended last Sunday was this. With this challenge in one Peter two twelve live such good lives now we 're not perfect, we know that, but we are called to live good lives among the pagans. You cannot live good lives among pagans if you don 't mix with pagans or work with pagans that 's a put down some people actually use that term of themselves these days, though they accuse you of doing wrong in uh, in a wrong sort of way, even though you're doing good, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. So we need an immediate and a long-term view of these relationships. Think about this for a moment then. Uh, here it is. This is how we are to impact people. But when we try to do that, we are treated unfairly. We are accused wrongly. Here's the question then. How do you react? What is our reaction to that? When sometimes, and you see it often in the youngest children, they recoil and they'll stamp their feet and say, it's not fair. And we know that. Well, let me suggest three things, that, uh, perhaps three typical reactions, and you ask yourself which is true of you. The first is this, there's the aggressive reaction, the aggressive pattern, if you like. We feel that we've been dealt with unjustly we've been ripped off what do we do do we want to get our own back there's something very sweet about revenge and yet what it does is to start seminally with the seed of resentment and when you plant seeds they grow eventually into they germinate into revenge and they grow deep roots they go down very deep roots of bitterness that tenaciously wrap themselves around our hearts, and we become, even Christian people, embittered. Life has treated us badly. That's one reaction, prevalent. Now, you choose if that's true of you, you need to do something about it, because you're in a bad place. Secondly, there's the complete opposite reaction, and that is the passive one. I think this is more typical, I would suggest. The passive reaction is actually simply to go through life feeling sorry for yourself. You've been dealt with very badly. You've picked a short straw. You feel like that. You want to call a pity party and invite your friends. Complaining and wanting a sympathetic listening The trouble with that is, like quicksand, it sucks you down into feeling so sorry for yourself that you end up doing nothing. And then there's the final, or the third reaction, as best we can tell, to being dealt with unjustly, and it's this. And I suspect that this one is the most prevalent, and that is, uh, it's a holding-off operation. It's there, just below the surface. And you say, and it's an interesting phrase, isn't it? I'll put it on the back burner. And the back burner is just simmering, just enough to keep your resentment there. It's a low flame, but it never goes out. The surface is calm, it's cool, but underneath feelings seethe. You try to do good, and these things happen to you. Isn't it best not to? Just keep your peace. Don't get involved. And I know some of you have chosen to do that. I think that's a regrettable choice. So, do you see, when you think about impacting others in any context, and politics is a big sort of word uh, today, that's what we're trying to see. So, those are those reactions, let's beware of them. So, we try to answer that question. How do we react when we're... Treated in this way. How do we press on when we feel we've been stitched up and ripped off? Well, I want to answer that question. You're not going to like the answer. I'm not particularly uh, surprised if you don't agree with it. But please think about it, and it's this. What is the alternative to being treated like this? Surprise, surprise. And I'm trying to let the passage speak for itself. We began, and there's the two words, and they hit you between the eyes, and it's this Submit yourself. All that's happening. Isn't that extraordinary? Would you have thought of that? Well, God's word often is countercultural, as we say. Submit yourself. Two powerful words. And what Peter begins to do now is to set a chain of events that's linked to this submission. It's not the private relationship between you and Jesus and nobody else. And what he does here, I hope you've noticed this, and do take, you can read the letter of 1 Peter in 20 minutes. How long will, we, will you and I spend reading the, the daily paper? Just read it through and try to see, make these connections. Okay, there it is. All that's going on. You've got the setting now. And so he says, submit yourselves. To what? To whom? Well, five specifics. In terms of life and work and home and family and relationships and society. Just look at these. Let's See it for yourself. Number one. As good citizens. Are we good citizens? So, verse 13. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake. To every authority instituted among men. The prevailing culture, if you like, the political atmosphere, the social environment. That's where we are. That's the first. The second, submit ourselves as those are, who are working. The, the phrase in verse 18, you see, is slaves. Slaves, submit yourself to your masters with all respect, and so on and so forth. Now, let's just, by the way, in the Roman Empire, some slaves held the uh, positions in the higher echelons. They were physicians and administrators, but they were not Roman citizens. And if you're not a Roman citizen, you're a slave. So don't think of people being chained into a chain gang like that. It isn't like that. Sometimes it is, but not always. So let's use the word. You might feel, by the way, you're a slave where you work. Uh, and we're talking about workers in 2, verse 18. Submit yourself in the context where you work. Thirdly, as loyal wives. Now here's a tricky one. Uh, But let me just read it. Chapter 3, verse 1. The third area of submission, in the privacy of our homes, in our relationships, wise in the same way, be submissive to your husbands. Thank you. So that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without the words by the behaviour of the wives. The feature of the early church was you had believers and unbelievers in marriage and interpersonal relationships that created conflicts of values and so on and so forth. What does that say to us today? Here's the interesting one. Submit as loyal wives the only way that you're actually going to do that, Peter says, look in in verse 7, he uses the same word, same phrase, in the same way husbands if we really want a mutual, submissive relationship, husbands, be considerate as you live with your wives. Treat them as the, with respect as the weaker partner and so on and so forth. it rings all sorts of bells in, in, in our society and all the issues that are coming. That's the fourth. And then the final one is to submit ourselves as fellow believers. Look at chapter 5, verse 1. And here's the interesting thing. In an age where, you know, you've got the young people who do mix with the old and so on and so forth, it's anticipated here that we, we, we will learn from one another. The young with their enthusiasm, learning from the old and the experience, and conversely. So, chapter 5 verse And to the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's suffering, and so on and so forth. And then, young men. Verse 5, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. Why should I? It's a good question. He says, because God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. Now, I know some of these things are fraught with 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 controversy, there are situations where weak men try to hold authority over their family and their wives, and that's rather pitiful. But you see where we're coming from here. Right, so those are the five areas. Now, I have no doubt that we might ask at a certain time, why? Why should I do this? Times have changed. Things are different now. Well, we know that. So what I'd like to do is to, is to give three reasons, and that's the, that's the sermon. Number one, we confine ourselves in verses 12 to 17, and I want you to give three motives. Three motives, okay? So number one, we are to, do, we are to submit ourselves. We've looked at five contexts, but we could spread that much wider if we went outside of this letter. For the sake of the loss. We are called to be witnesses to a living Christ, to dying people. For the sake and the salvation of the lost. That's the first reason. The second reason is for the sake of the Lord. I don't like this. I, I'm, I'm troubled by I'm ill at ease. But I'm doing it for Jesus. And that settles it. And then lastly, for the sanctity or the security of human life. I am to be salt and light where God has placed me. Well, those three reasons as they unfold in this letter. Number one, for the sake of the lost. Look at what we read in verse 12. Live such good lives among the pagans. You are in it to win it, not out of it to have no link with it. That's a big challenge for us. So we are to live such good lives and pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, even though you're doing good, they may see your good deeds and glorify God when he visits us. That's the first reason you have it there. Let's just look at this very quickly. Now, I think you'll appreciate that this gives us some degree of tension. I hope that you feel that in this world, you know what it is to live with tension. If you don't, there's something very wrong. It may be that your Christian life is far too flabby. There's a tension here. We're living in this world. An inevitable tension if you are a Christian. In today's world, let's put it like this. On the one hand, you know people talk like this and on the other. right? On the one hand, we know that we are not to withdraw from society. We are called to live within the society, and there it is, quote unquote, among the pagans. Because we were pagans once ourselves, without God, without hope in the world. Now we have hope. So we have a responsibility in the world where God has placed us. That's the first. But on the other hand, we should abstain from these sinful desires that you see in verse 11. If you like, we are refugees belonging to another place. How humbling, how humbling was it to see those over 200 people perished off the coast of of Italy, Sicily. They want to go to a better place. You know, they, they go on those boats. They have nothing to lose because life is unbearable. They're impoverished. Well, we live in the, the comfort of, of our homes. I do and you do. and not, We shouldn't feel guilty about that. We should feel grateful. But we belong, however good life is, however much we're enjoying now the good life. We belong to a different place. We know that. And so we don't just say, well, I belong and that's okay. You're on your own. Surely, if, if this is true of us, that we have such good things, then would we want to share it with others? I don't think we should withhold. Jesus' prayer before the before the cross was this. My prayer for you is, he's t- talking to his disciples, not that you take them out, he's praying to God for the disciples, not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect from them the evil ones in the world. We're in it, but not of it. And sometimes we can be rather standoffish about the world in which we live. We are to live like this for the salvation of the lost. We are to have friends. We are to build bridges of friendship so that people can walk over that and come to meet Jesus Christ. That's what we should do. Do we? Or are we quite content in our own little world? Are we God's silent witnesses? The great, John stopped 40 years ago talking about a church he loved and served and died serving our guilty silence. Why are we as evangelicals so quiet and guilty? Or another former uh, uh, bishop, um, Coggan, talking about the Anglicans. They're like Arctic rivers, frozen at the mouth. When it comes to talk about Jesus, they have nothing to say. Everything else, they've got an opinion. No, do you see the point? We are to live such lives like this, that we think about the lost. Now it's a challenge to all of us, and we need to take it under the chin. We are living among pagans. We are on a journey. We are pilgrims. And what we need to do as we live among, within the society in which we live, that we, we need to demonstrate the values of a different kingdom, When Jesus stood before Pilate, you remember, he says, Are you a king? My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, I would fight like you. It's a different world. It's a different kingdom. It's a different set of values and priorities. We should live among people for the sake of the lost, not only for our sake. It's a different kingdom, different values, different priorities. And the tangible sign of this kingdom is our love for one another, not the way that we tolerate one another. By this will people know that you're my disciples, if you have this love for one another. Well, for, for the sake of the lost. It's obvious, isn't it? Look at this second reason. What do you make of this? Verse 13. For the sake of the Lord. Look at, look at what Peter says here. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake. You know, sometimes it's, it's woven into the, into the English language, isn't it? Some people would sometimes say, for God's sake, you, people who say that, they're not intending it as an expletive. They want to emphasize something. It's, it's a disconnect to its original term. But look, yes, for the Lord's sake, I'm doing this. You see, if the first, living among the pagans for the sake of the lost, is all about the gospel, surely the second, for the sake of the Lord, is for his glory. Will, what I'm going through now, this tough time that I'm having, will God get glory in this situation? Or have I lost sight of the glory of God? Deo gloria ought to be our motto in all our experiences, the glory of God. And notice again the tension. Christians, if you like, are are citizens of two worlds. We're in this world, but we belong to another world. There is a tension there. So you see verses 13 and 14. Look, submit yourselves to the Lord for the sake of every authority instituted among men, whether the king or the supreme authority, for the governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. It's by what we do, not simply by what we say. We do it for the sake of the Lord. Now, you see the tension there. We live like this all the time. In other words, we render to Caesar what is Caesar. Usually that implies paying taxes or being accountable to the authorities. But to God, what is God. But, you know, the early Christians came into difficulty with that. Yes, I will give to Caesar what is Caesar's. But I will not call Caesar Lord. I'll call Jesus Lord. That became very costly. And that's how you have a hymn like this of Bonhoeffer. For the sake of the Lord, we must render to Caesar what is Caesar, to God what is God's. And even if we suffer... For our allegiance to Jesus Christ, we should still commend the gospel and we should convey the glory of God. That is the big challenge today. And lastly, the third. You see then in these final verses here, leading from 15 to 17, for the sanctity of life. I mean, when you think of some parts of the world, we think of that community of people two weeks ago. Here we are going out of church in Pakistan, and 81 people killed and 112 badly injured by two suicide bombers. That's a powerful thing. Doesn't it make you feel a sense of injustice? That's not right. The sanctity of life. Let's use the freedom that we have, the blessings that we enjoy for the glory of God. In other words, People are precious. We, we don't only value our own friends and our own family or the people who agree with us and that sort of thing. People are precious. All people are precious. God so loved the world that he gave his son that whoever believes in him. People are precious. So people influence people. People reach people. People challenge people. That's what we're doing. For the sanctity of life where we are. Now then. Here's the child. Let's be specific here. We are to bless people by doing good. By doing good. Now we could have an interesting discussion as to how this works. Look at this letter and see the frequency of this word good. Look at verse 12 for instance. Live such good lives. That they might see you doing good things. You have it in verse 12. Look at verse 15. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the the ignorant and foolish talk of foolish men. By doing good. Actually not not by winning the argument. Isn't that interesting? Just do good. Be an influence for good. Look at verse 20. But how is it, to your credit, if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, that is commendable before God. I mean, if you're wrong and you're wrong and you punish punished for it, you, get, you deserve it. Uh, it's Like me, you're speeding fine and you pay it. That, yes, you should do that. You're wrong. You might about the cameras and stuff, but it's wrong. You have to pay it. But if, if you weren't anywhere near the camera and somebody accused, that's not right, is it? Or, or, well, you know what I mean. You see, doing good, God is calling us to be good people in a world that is often void of kingdom goodness. We bring that goodness to bear. It's an interesting phrase that, and I use it, and it catches me occasionally. It's this: you see somebody and you say, um, you, you greet them and you say, "Are you good?" I think it's an, is it an American thing or an Australian? Certainly not British. It is British now. Or how are you? I'm good. I'm good. Uh, when people say that to me, I say, "Are you sure?" <laughs> That's a good. It is, isn't it? Well, you know what they mean. I'm okay. Good. How good are you? Well, you may not be the best judge of that, perhaps you should ask some other people. Are we good? Just one cross-reference this morning. Just look in in, uh, the book of Acts. Um, I don't know if this comes up uh, in front of you. Acts 10. It's It's a summary, a comment on the Lord Jesus. Acts chapter 10 and verse 38. Here is Jesus. With his kingdom manifesto. Into a Gentile world. And what is the thing that stands out? And this is what we are to be like as he calls us in our world today. This is a very interesting phrase. So the comment is how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit. Wonderful Trinitarian verse, isn't it? With the Holy Spirit and power. How he went around doing good. Jesus is good, and and as we are filled with the Holy Spirit, so the blessing of being good comes to other people for the sanctity of life. How good are you? How am I? I'm good. I'm good. Goodness being expressed by my willingness to be, and here it is, and this is the rub. Now, don't just react, you know, you've heard the introduction, submission. Yeah, that's, that's not on the radar today, is it? Assert yourself, express yourself. Don't be a doormat. But this submission, let's just try to conclude like this. In the original historic context in which Peter is writing and is giving this command, the Roman Empire, throughout which one Peter was written, these people are scattered. It was not a benevolent monarchy. It was not, as we enjoy, a benign democracy. It was a ruthless Dictatorship. Now, into that context, moreover, this dictatorship by an insane demagogue. Ah, that's the original context. And Peter says, Submit yourself. Now, submit yourself to the authorities, even though it's corrupt. Now, no one's saying you just bend the knee willy nilly, but what you're saying is, This is where I am. But for those same people, when it came to saying, now, who is Lord? Caesar? Nero? No, Jesus is Lord. And as you know, the historians bear out that cost them their lives. And you see the tension. Nowhere in the New Testament, and you, you, you may want to uh, query this, is that the idea that we should overthrow the prevailing authorities. But that doesn't mean that we should buckle under the pressure or compromise our convictions or renounce our faith. It's the tension. It's the tension. Let's try to close then. Goodness is expressed by my willingness to submit supremely to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. So, in my marriage, Jesus is Lord. In my work, Jesus is Lord. In my church, Jesus is Lord. That's the big issue. That's the big issue. Don't lose sight of it. It's interesting the article uh, in the paper this week. The big issue, these people who sell, the big issue. People are willing to uh, see these folk and say, here's a pound, but they don't want the paper. They're not interested. They're not interested in a big issue. They just feel just to give a pound. That's created a problem. Because some of these people have addiction problems. And the, the, the way that it works, you buy a big issue, they get 50p. The company gets 50p. If you don't take it, they get it all. You're not being good. Think you are. What is the big issue? The big issue is submission. That Jesus is Lord in, 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 in everything of my life. Not in some parts. in my home in my work in my church in my relationships and what is the sign of all of this just four things from verse 17 as just four sentences if you like number 1 you read verse 17 as it comes to a conclusion it says show proper respect to everyone people are important keep respecting people people are precious number 2 Keep loving each other. Do you see that? Show proper respect to everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers. Brotherhood, a generic term including the sisters. All of us, brothers and sisters, love the believers. Thirdly, keep a healthy fear of God. Do you remember the turning point of the two thieves of the cross? Where one says to the other, Don't you fear God? The answer, actually, no, he didn't. And he died without the fear of God. And many do. But the healthy fear of God was the tipping point for the other thief. Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. The fear of God drives us to the love of God. And lastly, keep honoring the king. The party conferences are over thankfully. But, you know, we are blessed in this country with the peace and the security and the accountability that we have. Uh, it was an interesting experience. I was saying this to one or two folk at the Horticultural Society where John Berker was presenting the prizes. And after he presented the prizes, he did uh, pulled pull tickets out of the raffle, tambola thing. And uh, he picked this up and somebody said, oh, it's my ticket." He picked another one and it was his. And he says, this is more than my life is worth. You know why expenses and so on. He said, he threw it away and he did another one. No, that's pressure. He wants to be accountable for all of the difficulties that our politicians have faced. That is how we impact people. May God's goodness so impinge upon us that our cynicism gives away to God's goodness, God's grace, as we live out our lives. And we're going to think about this as we sing our final hymn together. And as we think about God's love being woven through our lives, through the love of God our Savior, all will be well. Think in the context of the sermon. Though we pass through tribulation, all will be well. We expect a bright tomorrow, but we may not get it. All is well. Because of the destiny, the kingdom that we belong to. I hope that that will be true and real for us as we live out our lives. We stand and sing this final hymn together.